Welcome to the Marsh Swamp Original Free Will Baptist Church podcast. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study as we continue our look at uh, the book of Ephesians. Um, tonight, we want to look at chapter 4, so I would invite you to uh, find your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll give you time to do that, and then we will begin our study. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> chapter 4 uh, begins the second part of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Uh, in, in the first three chapters that we have already studied, Paul has dealt with uh, the great truths of the Christian faith and also with the function of the church as it fits into uh, the plan of God. Now, as we begin chapter 4, uh, he begins to share what each member of the church must be if the church is to carry out her part of God's plan. Paul has spent three chapters spelling out all that God did for us freely by His grace. Now, uh, in this chapter and a few following, uh, Paul is calling on the readers as well as us uh, to live the right kind of life. So let's look at what he says in chapter 4. Verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice what Paul says. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What is the character of a worthy walk? What does it mean to walk worthily with God? Well, Paul sums it up as, as he continues uh, this verse using, using some very simple words. He says, the first word he uses is humility. Humility, humbleness, being humble before God, setting our lives aside so that Christ could live with us, or setting our lives beside the life of Christ and living in the light of God's commandments. To humble ourselves is to put Christ first. So if we're going to walk worthy of the calling to which we're called, Paul says we must first learn to be humble. I think the writer of Proverbs says that pride uh, goeth before the fall, and pride has been the downfall of many a person. So the first character of a worthy walk is to be humble. Then Paul says, talking about humility, and then he says, gentleness with patience. Gentleness with patience. Christians 
must have a gentle spirit. And they must learn to be patient with others. Patience toward our fellow man. The kind of patience that God has shown to us. Martin Luther, the early church father, when reading the book of James, said if he had his way about it, he would just destroy the book of James because it was so practical and called people to live uh, the right kind of life. And you and I cannot live the right kind of life if we do not learn to be gentle and patient toward our fellow man. Because we have to stop and remember how, how gentle God has been with us and how patient He remains with us. I'm sure there have been times when, when we have tested His patience. But as of yet, He's not done anything. I think it was St. Augustine who said, If I were God, and I was treated the way man treats me him, then I would destroy them all. Think about how we treat God. How we, how we disregard Him. How we ignore Him. How we use Him like a fire extinguisher. And He still has patience. He still waits. He still has not destroyed us. He's been gentle. And we must learn that kind of gentleness and patience in our lives as well. The third thing Paul says, bearing with one another in love. Now, the Christians in the days of Paul didn't have the understanding of love uh, that we have today. So we, they had to be a word created, and that word uh, that was created was agape. And, and you've heard me uh, mention that word before because it is a very important word in, in the early church and in the Greek language. In the Greek language, there, there are four different words for love, and we only have one. They chose the kind of love that Paul's talking about here, the term agape, which means sacrificial, and self-giving, the kind of love that gives itself for the benefit of another human being. Jesus had that kind of agape love. He gave his life for us. When he questioned Peter, Peter, do you love me? He asked Peter twice, Peter, do you love me with agape love? Can you, do you love me with a sacrificial love? And Peter said, you know, I love you like a brother. You see, Peter couldn't get past the denial part. Jesus loved us with agape love. He gave himself for us. We are to be willing to give ourselves and show that kind of sacrificial love to our, brother, our brothers and sisters. The next thing Paul says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of 
peace. So the last two things, unity, oneness. The one thing that bothers me in, in this world in which we live when it comes to the church. Churches divide. They split. Because something in the church has caused disunity. And I would like to be able to tell you that, that what causes the disunity in the church is over some deep theological discussion or, or a moving away from a biblical truth. But the fact of the matter is that most disunity in the church comes over things like, and this is going to sound foolish, but it's true, the color of the carpet, the kind of hymn book we use, the kind of music we sing, the kind of Bible that we read from, the kind of people that come to church. Some people get fractious about that. Because they can't have their way. They can't do it like they want to. And so they split the church. They divide out. Paul says that's not showing a worthy walk when there's disunity in the church. And he couples that unity with the last thing we call that peace. And peace, peace can def be defined here as the right relationship between man and man. If you read the Ten Commandments, the first part of the Ten Commandments deal with a, 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 vertical, a vertical relationship. Thou shalt not covet. Thou, thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Remember the Sabbath. All these things, our relationship to God. The last, the last uh, commandments or on a horizontal plane. One is a relationship to God. The other is a relationship to each other. Don't covet. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't lie. All relationships of man to man. In order to have peace, there has to be a relationship that brings peace between the brothers and sisters of the church. Paul says, that is part of the worthy walk. To be gentle and patient and loving and unified and peaceful. To walk worthy of the, of the calling to which we are called is to do that. And when we have those qualities in our lives, we have peace with mankind. We have peace with ourselves. And more than that, we have peace with God. And then Paul goes on in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to to the measure of Christ's gift, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to them. Now, Paul states here, there is one body 
and one spirit. Now, this is my interpretation of what Paul is saying. We have unity because of what we share in common. There is one church. Do you understand? There is one body of believers. There are many denominations, but only one church. And every denomination is part of that church. If they accept God as the head, Christ as the shepherd, the Holy Spirit as its power, there is one church, many denominations, but they all should be preaching the same and teaching the same gospel. One body, one spirit, one hope, and that hope is Jesus Christ. One calling, one Lord, one faith. You cannot be a church of Jesus Christ if there is no faith in Him. One baptism, one Father. Each of these areas is greater than any potential difference. They all come together to create the church. And to these qualities of one hope, one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father, Paul has the greatest gift of all, and that is grace. The function of the church is to receive God's grace and in return show that grace to the world. And then Paul goes on in verse 11. He says, And he gave the, he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verses 11 and 12. Paul points out the offices of spiritual leadership. Notice it begins when he says, he says, he himself gave or in, in the English Standard Version that I'm reading from, and he gave, meaning Jesus gave. Jesus established the offices that Paul will now mention. Not established by men, but appointed by God. Those offices are, he appointed some to be apostles. Now, the apostles were those whose authority ran throughout the church. To qualify as an apostle, you had to have seen Jesus or been a witness to the resurrection and the risen Lord. Paul said, I am an apostle. I am an apostle. Why? Because he saw the Lord on the road to Damascus, which gave him, gave him the qualification. They were, they were the spiritual guides. 
the authority. He said, and then there were prophets. The prophets were kind of like the wanderers. They went from church to church, proclaiming the will of God as God had told it to them. They were not foretellers. They were forth, F-O-R-T-H, tellers. They told forth the message of God. In the Old Testament, the prophets of the 8th century, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, when they were given a word from God, they began their prophetic statement with these words, Thus saith the Lord. They would say, this is not my word. This is a word from God. And the prophet that Paul is talking about here did the same thing. He went from church to church saying, this is the word of God for you here in this place. And it was not his word. It was God's word. Then there were the evangelists. The evangelists, like the, wander, like, like the prophets, were wanderers. The evangelists could be synonymous with missionaries who went everywhere proclaiming the gospel, went everywhere sharing the word. They were, they were specifically gifted to preach the good news uh, of Jesus Christ and of salvation. Billy Graham would be for us the picture of the evangelistic, the evangelical personage here. Paul was all of these, but he really served as an evangelist. He went around preaching and teaching and winning people to Christ. They were specifically gifted to preach the good news. And then he comes and he says here, there were evangelists. Then he says another category, the shepherds and the teachers. The shepherds and the teachers, those, those who shepherd the flock of God, primarily through the teaching and the preaching of the word. That is where the pastor of the church comes in. The, the pastor is the, is the leader of that church in that place. They are given the responsibility then and now to be the under-shepherd of Jesus Christ. To tend the flock. To teach the flock. To preach the gospel to the flock. To challenge them to live righteous lives. Pastors and teachers. The purpose. And we should never take this lightly. Of any of these things. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Should never take lightly these gifts of leadership. The purpose of these gifts of leadership is, is that God's people, the saints, at least that's what they're called here, can be equipped for the work of ministry. 
the work of the pastor teacher is to train and to equip the members, the saints, as Paul refers to them here, to equip the saints for the working of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That is an awesome responsibility that fall in these four categories. And, and, and a pastor and teacher has that responsibility to teach and train the flock, teach and equip the saints to do the work of Jesus Christ in the community. And the goal, according, starting with verse 13, the goal of God's work through the church is twofold. It is unity. And, and I cannot stress that enough. This whole chapter talks about unity in the body of Christ. One of the detriments of the church in America today, and probably the church all over the world, but the church in America is there's so much disunity. We, we can't even get along with each other. I had a minister friend of mine who's a member of another conference who, who went to, to, to preach at a church or fill in for them uh, while they were seeking a pastor. And, and, and one day, I knew this church had had some internal problems. And so I was asking my friend one day, I said, well, how, how's it going at this church? And this is what he said. I'll never forget. He said, Ray, these people don't even like each other. That is not what Paul's talking about. That is not what Christ intended the church to be. Christ intended the church to live in unity and to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And how can you grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ if you can't get along? If you're more concerned about this thing or that thing than you are about growing together, the church will never be unified. And until the church is unified, it will never grow, never move forward. That's true for the local church. It's true for the church universal. There has to be unity and a teaching of Christ so people can grow in, in their knowledge of Him. And then Paul talks about here as he begins in verse 17, Now this I say and testify to the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Paul, Paul is talking about here uh, uh, the old man, the old way of life, referring to the Gentiles as, as the way they walk and the way they're walking without Christ is, is, is characterized by their, by their lack of understanding because they have been alienated from Christ. They lack understanding and, and, and their lack of understanding uh, is a heart problem, which is, which is not only shown in, in their foolish denial of God, as Paul says, he talks about the, the futility of their minds. They have darkened in their understanding. The ignorance that is in them is due to their hardness of heart. They have denied God. They have no morals. And Paul says to them, you need to leave your old way of life. And come to the new way of life. You have to put off the old man and put on the new man. That's a recurring theme throughout the Old Testament. That once, once you have accepted Christ, you become a new person in Christ. 
Paul is saying that, that we, need to, we need to open our hearts to him that we might learn. So Paul goes on to say what happens. What happens when you put off the old man? Paul says you put on the new man. And the reference is it's the same as putting off the old clothes and putting on a new set of clothes. The idea is to change into something different. A different kind of conduct. You know, you know, sometimes when you when you dress up uh, with your Sunday best on, perhaps. Um, and I've said this and I've had it said to me when I go somewhere and I have on a suit and a tie, and, you know, trying to look as good as I can. Somebody says, well, you clean up real well. Well, that's that's the way it is between the old man and the new man. The new man cleans up pretty good. Because he's changed his clothes, he's changed his attitudes, he's changed, they've changed their way of thinking. They've changed their conduct. Paul is basically saying that, that life for the Christian must be a break from the past. You must put the past behind you. We don't just, we don't just merely add Jesus to an old life. It's like putting new wine in old skins. The old skins will break and leak. Paul says you, 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 you don't put the old life into something new. You put the old life to death. And when that happens, the old then becomes new. We die to the old self, rise to the new self. That, my friends, is putting off the old and taking on the new. And then Paul Paul comes to the end of this chapter, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, having put away the falsehoods in each one of you, speak the truth. We are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Let him labor. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Only such is good is good for building up. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. In these last few verses, 25 through 32, Paul describes the conduct of a new man, and this is what he says. Tell the truth. It's all right to be angry, but don't sin because you give, you give the devil an opportunity. If you've been stealing, stop stealing whether it's time or, or, or stuff. Guard your tongue. Be careful of what you say. Don't grieve. Don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't act in such a way that the Holy Spirit's heart is broken. Put away all resentment and anger and speak, do not speak evil. And he says the last thing is, be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving of one another. Put away all these things, lying, stealing, cheating, talking, bad, and put on kindness and be tenderhearted and forgiving. I want to close tonight by reminding you that we are to, we are to be as loving and caring and merciful and forgiving to others as Christ has been to us. And when we treat people 
the way that Christ has treated us. There is nothing on this earth that could keep the church from moving forward for the cause of Jesus Christ. Our calling is to walk worthy. Our calling is to be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving, compassionate, patient, understanding. Nowhere in the worthy walk does it see does it say, be judgmental, be a finger pointer? No, it says, let others see Jesus in you. And how do you see Jesus? Is the way you want people to see him in you. So I challenge you tonight to pray that God would help you to live a life of love, and tenderness, and kindness, and forgiveness. My prayer for you, and for me, is that God would give us all of these qualities. Because when we possess these qualities, and we share them freely with others, God is praised, the church is lifted up, and we are walking worthy of our calling. I hope you have received a blessing from this meeting tonight. Please uh, uh, leave us a comment and let us know what you think of our Bible study. And until uh, next Wednesday night, I, I uh, ask God's blessings upon you. If you don't have a church home, I invite you to join us at Marsh Swamp uh, this Sunday at 1030, uh, Bible Sunday School at 930, church at 1030. Or you can watch us on our Facebook page or on our live stream page as well. Until then, may God bless you, and may your life be filled with kindness and tenderness and forgiveness. Good night, and God bless you. This has been the Wednesday Night Bible Study with Pastor Ray Wells. Again, thank you for listening. And don't forget to join us Sunday morning at 1030 for worship, either on Facebook or live in church. Have a great week.